0: That's pretty neat isn't it, yeah. So not to be a big name dropper or nothing, but Donna Maria knows me, <laughs> yeah, she does. She knew me back when I was normal, back before I was a pastor even, um, in Kentucky. Knew her all those years back, Yeah, I've told you some of those stories of those days, but uh, yeah. and. Uh, Jemuel knows Evan, so Evan and I know people, I'm just saying. We know, we know people who will be at the GC session, so, yeah, so there you go. It's good to be us. Alright, speaking of other people that we know, I want to invite the Fishers to come up here for just a minute because I'm very appreciative of these two. As you know, Pastor Bernie came up with this wonderful idea for a summer sermon series called Frames. The idea that frames, doctrines are like frames. And they give us the shape and they bring out the picture of Jesus and and the doctrine serve that purpose. And it was a great idea and we all got excited about it and and Patty said, well, let's let's have some frames then. We'll put up frames in the church and maybe you noticed they started appearing here and there a few weeks back and uh, now there's a whole lot of them. Well these are the people responsible for all these frames that you've seen. That's pretty neat, isn't it? This is Mike and Shirlene Fisher, and uh, Mike, how long have you guys been here and been a part of the church
1: this time? You were here once before. Yeah, I'm, I'm, uh, my second time around here, so uh, this time we've been here for almost a year, uh, just a little under a year. Okay, so, interesting
0: point here. Did you know you didn't have to be here for years and years before you got involved and made a difference in the life of everybody? And here they just stepped right in and did this. Now tell us, uh, Mike, a little bit about these frames. Uh, you went out and bought all of these, right?
1: No. Oh well, I would like to. That would have been much quicker, but uh, <laughs> but then how do we? How does the Lord shine through us if we do that? You know. Yeah. Uh, really, these frames are all not not originating from me. They, I really can't take any of the credit for it because I've never done anything like this before. This is my first time to really make anything for a stage or cameras or anything like that, so I had no idea about the size or the colors or anything like that that would work well with the stage or the background or anything like that. This is all thanks to the Lord. This this frame behind me, for instance, pretty much was enormous in the garage where it was built, but here it's just about the right size, and that's nothing to do with, with my pre-figuring or, you know, planning. So, <laughs> anyway, all the glory goes to God for these. It's, it's all according to Him.
0: So. Amen. All right. So, Shirlene, tell me what it was like to take on this big project and work with Patty and bring all these in here.
2: Uh, it was amazing. And, um, you know, like Mike was saying, it it was a, a God-given thing. And all the frames are actually custom-made for this church. They're, none of them are bought. They were dimensioned and colored and just you know, when the Lord helps you out with something, sometimes it doesn't make sense, but when it's all together, it makes sense, because we were talking, well, how do you stand this up? How do you hang it? How are you going to change it around? What? It was a, a process, and the Lord kind of saw it all the way through. It's quite amazing how it all turned out.
0: That's awesome. Well, it's really neat, and you, they've got them all hung up here. Uh, there were pictures Patty took the night you guys were in here working for hours to try to get everything exactly hung up right, and they sure have. Um, made an incredible impact in, in visual presence on this. Now you guys have, have come in here and gotten involved in all kinds of stuff. I, I should say, Robin Fisher is Mike's mother, and Robin is one of the teachers at Forest Lake Education Center. So this is how families all come and work together and be a part of it. But. Uh, um, Robin, you came and you got involved in some other things as well. Patty got you involved in AV. She's doing work in the back and is one of the producers for some of our video programs and things and, and also with our facilities team. But give us a little testimony about coming in new and getting involved somewhere.
1: Okay, so uh, we actually asked Pastor Jeff if we could, if we could just say something. Because we really feel like we're not special in ourselves, like us, us too. Charlene and I, we're, we're not like special and different from anybody else in the congregation. The, the difference is that you just have to have a willing heart. If you're, if you're interested in serving the Lord and glorifying His name, it's not about being able to do something awesome. I'll bet you there's 50 people out there that could build frames that are, you know, a hundred times better than these. <laughs> it's just, just woodworking, but uh, the Lord uses you to your, to your fullest potential and beyond if you're willing to do it. And that's the key is to have a willing heart, to ask Him to give you that.
2: And for me and Mike, we firmly believe that the Lord gave us all gifts, all of us gifts for reasons, not just one gift, many gifts, and we're supposed to use them. And whether it's the most common gift or a gift that's not that common, at the end of the day, if it's all used for God's glory, that's that's what He's going to ask us at the end. What did you do with what I gave you? Did you let it grow? Did you hide it? What did you do? How did it help other people? And 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 so that's something that Mike and I have always believed that some gifts we may have may not make sense, may not be. The most common, but at the end of the day, the Lord blesses it.
0: Amen. Amen. It's like the gears, you know. We've had those gears up here all this year. Maybe you've noticed the gears are kind of sad right now, because they've gotten separated out into other parts of the churches, and they're just sitting by themselves. They're no longer engaged. They're not working the way gears are meant to be. But we appreciate you guys coming in here and becoming engaged right off. And let's thank them for their good work. And all of these friends, thank you guys. All right, let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for your blessings this day, for the beautiful music and, and all of the things you've brought to us already this day. Now, Lord, as we turn uh, to hear from you and from your word, speak to us, bring us conviction in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So the theme of this series this summer is, is frames. And the idea being that doctrines of the church are like frames. But one of the things you notice about all the frames we have here is, as amazing as they are, as cool as they are, they're all missing something, aren't they? Frames are not made just to exist by themselves, They're, they're made for a picture. And that's the way the doctrines are. Doctrines aren't made to just exist all by themselves, they're made to frame a picture. And who is the picture of? Pictures of Jesus. That's what's in the frame. Doctrines give us a clarity and a common starting point for life and faith, but we have to be careful with doctrines because if we're not careful… The doctrines themselves can become the focus of our faith. They need to not be the focus. They need to bring the focus to Jesus. Now what I want to talk to you about today is creation and the Adventist church doctrine on creation. Now there are a couple of things I need to say today, two main points I need to make, and I need to be careful to make these points accurately. So you may see today that I'm looking a little more here because I need to say it accurately because these are important points. And you need to understand them accurately. If you were to go to the webpage of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, you'd pull it up on your screen and you would see at the top a little heading that said beliefs. If you went to that and clicked on it, a page would come up that would have like a five-point summary on one side of, of basic beliefs of the church. And then if you went to the other side, down a little ways, you'd see a little place where you could click that said a PDF of the 28 fundamental beliefs. If you were to click there, it would come up on your screen, the 28 fundamental beliefs. But before you got to the 28, you would find a short saying, a sort of preamble, if you were, to the 28. And I think it is a very important preamble, and I want to share it with you. I read it last week, but I want to read it again today. And this is going to come up later on. We'll reference back to two parts of this, but it reads like this. Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed and hold certain fundamental beliefs to be the teaching of the Holy Scriptures. These beliefs, as set forth here, constitute the church's understanding and expression of the teaching of Scripture. Revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teaching of God's Word. I think that's a great prelude because what it's saying is the Bible is the final word. The Bible is our creed, but we have constructed What we believe are concise beliefs that are in accord with the Bible. However, we're not claiming the way these are worded is in and of itself sacred. These things can be changed. But this is how we understand it. All right. Now, I want to take you to one of the fundamental beliefs. It's actually number six, the Seventh-day Adventist Church fundamental belief related to creation. Now, don't worry about the order. The last week's happened to be number one. This is number six. It doesn't, it's not relevant in that sense, the numbers. But this is number six, and it reads like this. God is creator of all things, and has revealed in scripture the authentic account of his creative activity. In six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and all living things upon the earth and rested on the seventh day of that first week. Thus he established the Sabbath as a perpetual memorial of his completed creative work. The first man and woman were made in the image of God as the crowning work of creation, given dominion over the world, and charged with responsibility to care for it. When the world was finished, it was very good, declaring the glory of God." Now, let me just say, for the record. I like how this is worded. Now, I know that doesn't make a huge difference to anything, but let me just say, I like how this is worded, both for its specificity and for its restraint. It is specific in its use of Bible language, but it is also restrained in that it doesn't get too interpretive of it. Now, okay, I will admit, I'm not sure that the the squeezing in of the Sabbath reference there was necessarily required here, but we're Adventists, we work Sabbath into everything, so that's all right. So it may be a little non-sequitur, but it's not egregious, it's okay. We have another doctrine for that, but it's okay, it it, it belongs there, that's all right. But the main point of this doctrine is this, Seventh-day Adventists believe that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And I want to suggest to you that of the different frames, this particular frame called creation is a critical frame because without it, the picture of Jesus doesn't make sense. You might be inclined at first to disagree with that and, and if you were new to the faith I would understand that well enough. We, we come to Jesus, we, we come to know Him and we receive salvation from Him. But, but in the process of coming to Jesus, as we begin to process our faith and understand, perhaps questions begin to emerge in our mind like, how is it that Jesus saves us? And as we work our way through this and through the identity of Jesus as the Christ and the son of the living God, we begin to have questions about this picture of Jesus, because who is Jesus if God isn't the creator? And what in the world is he doing coming into this world to save us if this isn't a world that he had anything to do with making? Doesn't that, in fact, make him not a savior, but rather a usurper coming into the world? Because how can he come and save that which is not his own? I've said this before, there are there are three confessions that I hold in my heart and I suggest that you ought to hold in your heart as well three confessions of the faith that are key to being able to build the rest of our Christian understanding around. The first is this, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. It was the confession of Peter, and Jesus said to him, I will build my church on this confession, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The second is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the third is if I go, I will come again. Now, why do I say these are key confessions of the faith? Well, here's the thing about them. We have no means available to us to either prove or disprove any of these confessions, do we? We cannot prove by human means that Jesus was the Christ, the son of the living God, can we? We receive that by faith. And we have no means available to us to prove that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And neither do we have human means to prove that Jesus is coming again. Until he does, then that one will be proved as well as the other two. You see, these are confessions Because we accept them by a conviction of faith. This is what happened with Peter when he did it the first time. Jesus said to him, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says a most interesting thing to him. He says, blessed are you, Peter, for flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The point of it being, even being a disciple hanging around with Jesus for multiple years is still not enough to convince you that he is the Christ and the Son of the living God. In order to believe Jesus is the Christ and the Son of the living God, you must receive that from God himself as a conviction in your heart. Now this isn't blind faith I'm talking about, blind faith in an unlikely proposition, but rather I'm talking about convicted faith revealed by the Father through the Holy Spirit to those who believe. This is how we believe in Jesus. And I wanna suggest to you that this is the same way that we hold the conviction that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You see, because the whole issue of Jesus, the confession that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, if you think about it, raises a question, doesn't it? If Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who's the living God? Well, he's the creator. You see, these are identity statements. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. God is the creator. This is who they are. If God is not the creator, then what's he doing giving us laws? And how in the world does he send his son to somehow save us? Save us from what? If we lose the frame of creation, the picture of Jesus gets pretty strange. And not only that, the Bible loses its basic premise as well. We talked last week about sometimes when we're reading in the scripture, there are people who seek to discredit the Bible by picking on uh, minutia that really has very little meaning to the overall point of the scriptures. And they try to point at these little things and say, well, see that, see that, see that. You can't believe the Bible. Those things don't change the meaning of the whole Bible. But God as creator is not a meaningless minutia point of the Bible. In fact, it is the basic premise that underlies all of Scripture. That's probably why the first line of Scripture is, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this idea of God as creator is an unchallenged theme that starts at the beginning of the Bible and continues all the way to the end as a view embraced by every Bible writer. In fact, let's take a minute and just look at a couple of these places. Genesis 1 verse 1, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 14, verses 18 and 19. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high, and he blessed Abram saying, blessed be Abram by God most high, creator of heaven and earth. Even this Melchizedek guy knows this. God as creator becomes the basis for law in the Sabbath. Exodus 20, verse eight. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. God as creator becomes the basis for our relationship with him. Deuteronomy 32 verse 6. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? The Psalms speak of it. Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands. Psalm 33, verses 6 and 9, by the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry host by the breath of his mouth, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded and it stood firm. Psalm 104, verse 24, all of Psalm 104, but we'll just take this one verse, how many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Okay, so we have the law, we have the Psalms. What did the prophets have to say about this? Isaiah chapter 42, and this is a highly significant prophecy because this is a prophecy pointing towards the Messiah who will come. Verse six is about the Messiah, but listen to verse five first. This is what the Lord says. And then, to clarify who it is that's talking, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. Who's talking? The creator's talking. And what does he say? I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles." The Creator God is sending His Son to reunite His creation together. This is the word of the prophets. Malachi chapter 2 verse 10, God as Creator is the basis of our relationships with each other. Do we not all have one Father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? What about Jesus? Does he ever mention it? Well, the issue of God not being a creator was not really an issue in Jesus' day, but Jesus does make a mention of God as creator. But it's really more as an aside, sort of as a point we all understand. It's in Mark 13, verse 17. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter because those will be days of distress, unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now. It's kind of like he's saying, you know, I'm talking about the beginning all the way back when God created. It's that point we all understand. Paul talks about it. Ephesians 1, verses 3 and 4, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him, when? Before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Our life purpose is tied to this idea, Ephesians 2, verse 10, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do, created by God for good work and recreated in Jesus Christ able to do that work. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. There is a mistake that people have made through the generations, and it's the mistake of worshiping the creation and not the creator. And it's a mistake that goes on in our day today. Verse 25 of Romans one, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised, amen. So what I want to say to you is this, we do not approach this subject without a bias. Not because we're afraid of alternative views, but because creation is a conviction, not a conclusion. As the author of Hebrews states so well in Hebrews chapter 11, verse three, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. We cannot prove that God created the heavens and the earth or anything else by any of the human means available to us today. Just as we cannot prove Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, by any human means we have, and we cannot prove Jesus is coming again by any human means we have. But that's not a problem. For these three are not things that we hold as conclusions. These are things we hold as convictions established as truth in us by God himself through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. Oh sure, try to prove the Holy Spirit, but I'll bet you know when the Spirit moves in your life. Convicting power of God. It may seem foolishness to the unbelieving in our day, but to us it is the power of God and it is the wisdom of God. I've warned you many times before, faith is required if you would be a believer. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's not a point we've concluded, nor is it a point that we need to seek to prove. Rather, it is truth We understand by faith and the only doctrine of origins, the only frame suitable for a true picture of Jesus. No other frame works. Jesus does not make sense if God did not create the world. We cannot be flexible on this point any more than we can be flexible on whether or not Jesus is the Son of God and Christ our Redeemer. We cannot allow ourselves to be bullied and shaken by a world of secular science whose process rules out the possibility of God in its premise and then claims to have proven his non-existence in its conclusion. You can't rule it out in the premise and then claim you proved it doesn't exist. Don't get me wrong, I applaud the accomplishments of science. I like to think of myself as a man of science. And I'm not so bold as to try to undo the work of scientists far smarter than me. It's not the conclusions of scientists that I challenge. My issue is with their premise. So I say, Mr. Scientist, your work is good, but your work is incomplete. For you have done your work intentionally unaware that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Anglican theologian N.T. Wright, in a recent book, Simply Christian, proposes a metaphor for our day. He, he describes it as a day where there's a dictator who sought to control the water resources by paving the earth and piping the water flow. You see, the earth had these springs that would come up unexpectedly. And the dictator decided that this was not organized enough, so he paved the earth and held back the springs and they held them back for a time, but ultimately the springs could not be held back and they burst through and began to make a mess of all the people who denied the flow had sought to build in the meantime. To quote from his book, we in the western world are the citizens of that country. The dictator is the philosophy that has shaped our world for the past two or more centuries, making most people materialistic by default. And the water is what we today call spirituality, the hidden spring that bubbles up within human hearts and human societies. The skepticism that we have taught for the last 200 years has paved our world with concrete, making people ashamed to admit that they have had profound and powerful religious experiences. From this point of view, spirituality is a private hobby, an upmarket version of daydreaming for those who like that kind of thing. Millions in the Western world have enjoyed the temporary separation from religious interference that this philosophy has brought. Millions more aware of the deep subterranean bubblings and yearnings of the water systems we call spirituality, which can no more ultimately be denied than can endless springs of water under thick concrete, have done their best secretly to tap into it using the official channels, the churches, but aware that there's more water available than most churches have let on. Many more again have been aware of an indefinable thirst, a longing for springs of living, refreshing water that they can bathe in, delight in, and drink to the full. Now at last it has happened. The hidden springs have erupted. The concrete foundation has burst open and life can never be the same again. Dr. Wright believes that the power of the Spirit is breaking out again in the Western world. You see, science cannot account for the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will never cease to move upon our hearts bringing conviction regarding the things that cannot be proven. There is a desperation as a response to this breaking out, I think, amongst those who would seek to rid you and rid me of our conviction that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and they've taken on almost an evangelical fervor in their attempt to bring you the gospel of evolution. But the effort to disconnect the creation from its creator is fundamentally flawed for the creation itself bears witness to its creator and will never remain silent. But there is an important point here that I am afraid we must not miss. It is the creation and the Holy Spirit that testify most strongly to the veracity of the Creator, not our words. Therefore I say let our words be few and basic, and let the Spirit and the creation do the talking. Last Sabbath we talked about the Scriptures And our doctrine related to it, and I read you this verse from Proverbs 30, verses 5 and 6. Every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We should fear to add our interpretation to God's words and then claim that interpretation as his true meaning. Even if we are convinced in our heart that's what the true meaning is. Revelation 22 speaks of this as well. Revelation 22 verse 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll, If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person the plagues described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from this scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person any share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this scroll. And so after making my case for the centrality of the conviction of God as creator and how we cannot negotiate on this frame. Let me now end with a warning against an action our church is considering this summer at the general conference session. There is a motion to modify the creation fundamental belief, and that in and of itself is not wrong at all, for the preamble states, as I said to you, revision of these statements may be expected at a general conference session when the church is led by the Holy Spirit to a fuller understanding of Bible truth or finds better language in which to express the teaching of God's holy word. But let us beware lest our modification cause us to depart from another premise within the preamble, namely, Seventh-day Adventists accept the Bible as their only creed. When we reach the point that we believe we need to add words to the Bible in order to explain what it truly means, we have ceased to be stating fundamental beliefs and have digressed into creedalism. Specifically, what I'm talking about is this. Fundamental belief number six, as I stated earlier, reads this way. God is creator of all things and has revealed in Scripture the authentic account of his creative activity. In six days, the Lord made the heaven and the earth and all living things upon the earth and rested on the seventh day of that first week. Thus he established the Sabbath as a perpetual memorial of his completed creative work. The first man and woman were made in the image of God as the crowning work of creation, given dominion over the world and charged with responsibility to care for it. When the world was finished, it was very good, declaring the glory of God." Again, maybe we squeezed a little to put the Sabbath in there, but I don't have a huge issue with that. I like this statement and I want you to note that this statement of belief is clear in its implications without going beyond what the Bible itself actually states, limiting itself to the text. But now here is the proposed draft of the new text which i believe ought to give us all pause even if we find ourselves in perfect agreement with the language here is the proposed changes god is the creator of all things he has revealed in scripture the authentic and added here and historical account of his creative activity in added a recent six-day creation. Can someone tell me which part of Genesis 1 says recent? The Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Thus he established the Sabbath as a perpetual memorial of his creative work. Now this part is added performed and completed during six literal days that together with the sabbath constituted the same unit of time that we call a week today the rest remains unchanged now i ask you not whether or not you agree with that language but i ask you do you see the difference between those two statements and why i would call the first statement a statement of belief and suspect the second to be a creed, a belief states, perhaps even with detail of significant degree, the framework of an understanding. A a fundamental belief remains a frame. And it is at its best when it does not presume to go beyond the literal language of Scripture, even if our understanding of it goes beyond the literal language of Scripture. A creed feels the need to not just be a frame, but to also paint the picture inside. Adding details beyond what the text says that in the end don't bring further light to the point. What about the words performed and completed during six literal days that could, together with Sabbath, constitute the same unit of time that we call a week today? What if that gives you a better picture of Jesus? but instead merely produces detailed legal ground upon which dissenters might be rooted out and persecuted. That's what a creed does. And this is exactly why our founders feared creeds. For it was upon the power of creeds that their message was maligned and they were thrown out of their churches. God as creator is a conviction we share that is non-negotiable. It is the frame we must have if the picture of Jesus is to make any sense. But God save us from ourselves, lest we turn the creation frame into a complete picture in and of itself devoid of Jesus. A picture we use not to enrich and save our souls, but rather one we use as a scourge to beat upon each other's backs. If we cannot make the point of God as creator with the words as they appear in Scripture and by the testimony of the created world and by the power of the Holy Spirit, do we actually think detailing out what Scripture itself does not say will help? So Lord, save us from two sins. The sin of denying you as creator and the sin of claiming we know exactly how you did it. May we never be so foolish as to deny, and may we never be so arrogant as to claim we know everything about it. The beliefs have to be the frame. The picture is Jesus. If the result of the frame is persecution within our own community, We've gone from fundamental beliefs to creed. And I don't care if you believe it that way exactly or not. We must guard against creeds. For they will tear us apart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It is the conviction of the Holy Spirit that lets us know this is true. May we keep that frame so that the picture of Jesus is always clear and always makes sense. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that your Spirit will speak to us. I pray, Lord, if I have spoken presumptuously that you will make it right. But, Lord, I fear in our zeal that sometimes we go beyond your word in an effort to prove our point. May we be humble, Lord, and limit ourselves to your words and let your creation and your Holy Spirit be the loudest voices pointing to the Creator. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.